This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast here on Sikkim 365 Radio, Sikkim365.com. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer. Behind the scenes, we got Jack McKenzie and our newest Sikkim 365 edition, Garrett Ross as well, helping out. Hope you've had a good week thus far. We are here to help your week go by a little quicker and to... Uh, talk about all of the latest news in Baylor athletics at this point. Uh, it is a matter of spring sports winding down, but there's a few other things off the field going on as well. So uh, we'll get into some football. We'll get into some baseball, some tennis, some hoops, and uh, get into your mailbag as always as well. But uh, Grayson, uh, back in studio. Uh, thanks to everybody for bearing with us last week as we had to do it remotely. Uh, last minute kind of decision, but uh, here we are back. And uh, how you feeling? Yeah, excited to be back in studio. I know it was a little rough last week, so glad to be back. Glad to talk about some sports. We got a lot of interesting topics to talk about this week. Some kind of variety, honestly, with seasons uh, coming to a close for some of the spring sports, and then also getting to talk a little bit of basketball and football. So it's an exciting week for sure. So we're going to start off talking. Uh, this first hour will be all NIL and the quarterback decision. No, I'm just kidding. Shaping. Uh, Shaping. Who's his backup? No, no. you know what? Hey, we, we talked about that last week. I want to make it very clear what my point was on talking about Shaping and people asking questions about him. Just, I'm all for uh, the concern about what happens if he goes down. Mm-hmm. I'm totally understanding of that. My whole point was to not start calling him injury prone already just because he got hurt last year. Now, if he gets hurt this year, by all means, call him injury prone. But I just don't feel like that's a fair label just yet. That was all my point was, really. So yeah. just to be clear, I am concerned about the quarterback spot as well if Blake Shapin gets hurt because I know what the, the good things have been, been said about C.J. Rogers, and I know you know Kyron Drones certainly looks the part. But, yeah, I'm concerned about that. Don't get it twisted. I'm just not going to get too stressed out about it on May 24th, and, and right now I'm just not ready to label Shapin injury prone. So just to clear the air on that a little bit for – Folks who listened to us talk uh, last week. Yeah, and I, I agree with that statement. You know, it's hard to kind of pigeonhole someone as injury prone when he had to go play the last game of the year, the most physical, one of the most physical games they played all season. And yeah, he got hurt on it. Kind of a fluke play, honestly, mm-hmm. and something that he's going to learn. You got to slide, you know, just point blank. And yes. so, yeah, we'll see what happens going forward. I agree there's got to be concerns with the depth chart. I mean, there just has to be with the back end. And the fact that we've never seen really much of these guys play outside of spring game limited reps. So I'm excited about kind of what they have in that room, but I do think it is a concern, the depth. But I agree with you. You know, you can't call him injury prone quite yet. Yeah, and hopefully we don't have to. Hopefully he's able to make it through next year. But as we know, following Baylor football, that's not typically the case here over the last few years and so everybody's got good reason to be a little bit nervous about what happens if but yeah just uh, not ready to call him uh, injury prone just yet so anyways uh in news going on right now in the world of Baylor athletics it was uh just a couple uh, or I guess a few days ago now at this point that uh, the big announcement came down that Linda Livingstone Baylor president had signed a brand new deal with the school 
uh, a brand new extension that will take her through the next decade uh, as president of Baylor. And uh, as I mentioned, the good, the bad, the ugly, I think this is good for Baylor athletics, uh, clearly. This is good for, for you know Baylor sports. We know her background as an athlete and uh, that, you know, uh, angle that it gives her uh, in, in her job and, and in working with the coaches and Mac Rhodes and so on and so forth. You know, Mac Rhodes had signed his extension not that long ago. Uh, also a lengthy deal, uh, you know, 10-year type of deal. And then, of course, we've had, you know, the likes of Aranda who have agreed to contract extensions as well. So uh, they're getting their ducks in a row in a time when Mac Rhodes is being thrown around as a commissioner for other conferences here at one point uh, not that long ago, including the Big 12, but uh, seemingly shot that down with his extension. And then here you had the NCAA president's job opens up and whose name's getting mentioned. Well, there's a few names getting mentioned, but one of those is Linda Livingstone, uh, you know, as potentially the next president. Uh, But this seems to shoot that down. Uh, Again, great news for Baylor Athletics and and the university uh, to go ahead and lock Linda Livingstone down. Yeah, and I mean, they already locked down Mac Rhodes as well, and those two have a great working relationship. You can tell there's total buy-in into Baylor sports right now, and I I think that's extremely important for those of us who like to kind of cover and also watch Baylor sports. They've put an emphasis on it, and they've done a great job with it, and I think Linda is just great for, honestly, Baylor as a whole. I mean, she's done so many good things since she arrived, and she's going to continue to do great things, and uh, to be honest, you know, her buy-in, is something that I, I really enjoy seeing. You know, she's at so many games. She's supporting so many various athletic programs and events at Baylor and um, the, the students, the the people that work at Baylor. I just think she's fantastic, and I'm so excited for this. I, I think her and Mac Rhodes can continue to do great things on the athletic side, and I think Linda's done great things on the academic side and just for Baylor University. Yeah, definitely, and I, I try not to delve too much and talk about Things like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the academic side. I'll leave that more to the Baylor alums who are very clearly in tune with all of that. I can only really speak uh, from my chair on the athletic side, and clearly it's been good. But I have noticed as well the academic side. And what was uh, the big news a few months ago about their uh, their ranking or whatever? Uh, what was that? The um, do you know what I'm talking I about? Yeah, uh, I I whatever the, the status yeah. was that uh, that now R1. escapes. Yeah, R1. the R1. I yeah. mean, that was a massive deal, and that was something that she had, you know, been championing. So uh, she's got a lot done uh, on the field and off the field, and uh, now extended through 2032. Mac Rhodes extended. Uh, Dave Rand has been extended, and you know things seem to be uh, pretty good right now as far as the hierarchy of leadership and and of course Scott Drew, Nikki Collin and and the, lots of others involved uh, as far as the big wigs in the athletic department but the, the two biggest uh, now having signed contract extensions over the last few months. Yeah, and I was going to say the other big thing and I just drove in today and I drove by the Welcome Center and I don't think people realize how important that is for Baylor and that's another thing that she has, you know, headlined and gotten the work going to get that Welcome Center built. And, you know, when I went to Baylor back in, you know, the day, right? 2012 was my freshman year, but... Oh my God, you're so old. Yeah, I'm so old. But there was no, you know, there was no place for people that were going to look at Baylor and going to try to find out information about Baylor. There just wasn't that. 
and, and you kind of just had to go and meet up at various places. And now there is a central location right off the highway that everyone's going to be able to see and gravitate towards and go learn about Baylor. I, I think it's going to be huge for the university. So that's another thing that she's done on the academic side that I really do think is going to pay huge dividends. Yeah, and that thing's being built pretty fast. I mean, it'll go up fast, and then, you know, once it feels like it's about done, there will be, like, 17 months of, like, you know, painting or something because that's typically how this works. But it is going up quickly, and it's going to change what Baylor looks like um, in terms of when you drive up and drive by. Uh, it's definitely going to be noticeable and uh, will change the complexion of – just the look of the university in some ways. Uh, so, yeah, that's ongoing as well. Uh, I noticed, uh, too, that when they were um, extending her contract, they had their, you know, their May board meeting, and one of the things that was talked about there as well was uh, approving the phase one of the Fudge Football Development Center, uh, and they updated some of the other construction projects as well. Uh, but a Regents approved $5 million for phase one design, early construction activities for the Fudge Center, uh, which will be the the day to day for Baylor football. Uh, this amounts in addition to the previously approved six mil, so a total of eleven million for the initial phase, and uh, that was one of those updates as well. And as Mac Rhodes has told us, expecting you know ground to get breaking on uh, projects like that here in the next month. Uh, you know, basketball has got the pre construction that's been going on for the arena over in that area. So uh, moving closer to starting to get these things off the ground, and then once they get the pavilion and the, you know, the football development center, that's going to be pretty cool as well. So just a, a slight update there of, of them approving some more uh, phase one money, but uh, that's pretty much staying on track as we expected it to. Yeah, and June was kind of the timeline that I think both you and I were expecting, and we've talked about kind of ad nauseum that that's when we expect all of these projects to break ground, and it looks like they're on pace for that. And I know... As far as the Baylor recruiting side goes, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, the Baylor football staff has been using that new athletic center a lot, uh, the football ops center, and talking about a lot to recruits and really selling it as, hey, guys, you know, when you get here, this will be built. And this is going to be the new home for, for us, a new weight room, a new kind of everything. Um, it's going to be so state-of-the-art and so perfect for what they're trying to build and something very necessary for the staff and for the players. So big news that that's getting built and big news that Baylor is using it on the recruiting trail because it just kind of adds more fire to the fact that this is happening and this is a necessity uh, for the Baylor football program as well as the Baylor basketball program when you're talking about the pavilion. Yeah, and uh, in today's, you know, landscape, anything you can tout uh, or show off or, you know, use as a lure uh, is important. So certainly having new football facility will be uh, welcome news. Uh, it's needed, too. I mean, it, it truly is just where they've kind of been crammed in over uh, in that area on campus uh, to have a full-fledged area for themselves. And what that does, as we've talked about previously, will be a good deal for for Baylor football and all the other athletics programs as well so there was some big news from last week uh, projects moving along and Linda Livingstone signs an extension uh, outside of that do we did you decide to go football first or Meyer first let's go Meyer okay let's, let's talk, talk Meyer. about Matthew Meyer so on the basketball side of things Baylor hoops moved quickly uh, postseason going and grabbing some players out of the transfer portal. And we saw Matthew Meyer make the decision that he was going to enter the draft but keep his college eligibility uh, there. Uh, so if he decided for a second straight year to uh, pull his name out of the draft, uh, he could return to college. And, 
you know, as this kind of went along and as Baylor started adding players uh, from the transfer portal, like a Caleb Lohner from BYU, for example, uh, writing started to kind of get on the wall that, like, maybe no matter what Matthew Meyer decided that he had played his last game in green and gold. And he now has taken his name out of the NBA draft after receiving whatever feedback he received. Clearly it wasn't, you'll be a lottery pick, <laughs> because otherwise he would still be in that sucker. But uh, he decides to... Uh, not uh, remain in the NBA draft, and as a result, return to college. Uh, that's now known, and it's now known that he's probably going to be transferring, Grayson, which should not come as a surprise. I haven't seen him really say much of anything. It was just reports over the weekend. Uh, contenders that are listed include North Carolina, which seems like a pretty safe bet in this race. Uh, Illinois, another team mentioned, Texas Tech. Uh, which I would just hate to see, not because I would even care about what he would do for Tech, but it would just be weird to see him in a Tech uniform after four years at Baylor. Um, and I'm sure there are some others as well that we're not even aware of. Uh, but he's going to probably score big in NIL uh, wherever he decides, and he can jump right onto a contender. Uh, but I'm certainly not assuming that he's going to be back in Waco by any means. I've pretty much written that off uh, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago. So your thoughts on Meyer pulling his name out of the draft and now looking around as uh, one of the you know probably most highly sought-after transfers this offseason. Yeah, he was never going to come back um, after kind of the guys that they added, Jalen Bridges, Caleb Lohner, um, and really his spot got filled. And to be honest, Baylor just left an open spot for Adam Flagler with the hopes that he comes back. And that's kind of where things are at now on the Baylor side. As far as Matthew Meyer goes, I mean, it's pretty simple. He wasn't going to get drafted. Um, he got the grade. He took his name out. Now he wants to go probably make some money NIL-wise. And can you blame him? Absolutely not. You know, he's got an opportunity to have a really nice payday. It looks like North Carolina and Illinois are the two that seem to be talked about the most with his recruitment. I'll be curious to see where he ends up. Either way, I think he'll go have a really nice year wherever he goes. And, you know, I wish him the best. I'm not one of those guys that thinks he's a villain or whatever because, like we've talked about, I feel like Baylor upgraded their roster by losing him. It's not because he's not a good player. It's not because he didn't do great things for Baylor. It's just simply because his fit on this team, in my mind going forward, does not really make sense. And his best year at Baylor, which was not this past year, was the championship year. He was able to come off the bench and really just be uh, a supplement and not a guy that was relied upon a ton. He was able to come off the bench and just provide a spark while also getting to play with Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Mark Vidal, Macy Oteague, the pressure just was really not on him as much that year. Whereas last year, we saw him have to take a much bigger role. And in my mind, he just did not show the things that I think Baylor needs going forward. Um, and so the, I think they upgrade with Bridges and Loner. But I wish him the best. Now, I did have one thing that I wanted to bring up because I saw it on the board. And someone was trying to say that this makes Baylor look bad that one of their quote-unquote better players is leaving their program, and this would not happen at schools like North Carolina or Duke or Kansas. And I just wanted to bring that up to get your thoughts on it. I know where my thoughts are, but I wanted to hear where, where you're kind of at. Yeah, I'll disagree with that. And, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I don't think it makes Baylor look bad. And I think you're probably, whoever it is, worrying a little bit too much about what other people think, quite frankly. I mean, everybody's going to have somebody transfer at some point. If 
those who are speaking on Matthew Meyer being a bad look leaving Baylor are doing so with the knowledge of what their roster looks like and what the plans are moving forward, and they feel like they know better than Scott Drew about how to make this team better, then by all means, take that person's opinion. But uh, outside of that, I think that they are arguably better on paper than they were. I know some people are already making that case. I don't know. It remains to be seen on my end, but... Um, no, I, I fully disagree that it makes them look bad. I think it's just the age of NIL, and I think it's the fact that the guy's been on campus for four years already. I mean, he's been around for four years, so had he, you know, jumped ship after two years or after the national title and gone to North Carolina, I think that would have been a bad look. But the fact that they've seemingly replaced him while he was out pursuing his NBA dream um, just means that, uh, you know, they've they've had their fill and he's had his fill and, you know, it's just time for them to both go their separate ways. It doesn't have to be an ugly breakup. It's, you know, sometimes people are like, I think we should see other people. You know what? Me too. Cool. See ya. Nice, nice knowing you. And I think that's more of what it is than anything that, you know, has to be negative uh, or, oh, this person's in the wrong or, or anything like that. You know, Matthew Meyer made a decision for him. Baylor made a decision as well for them. And, you know, it resulted in, in both uh, going their separate ways, and that's really all there is to it. Yeah, Baylor had to figure out how they were going to make this roster better when you're mm-hmm. losing the kind of guys that they did. And when you add Bridges, who was one of the best transfers in the entire class in my mind, I, I think he might be the best transfer. I think he's going to come to Baylor and make a huge impact and then they got Caleb Lohner, and they were like, you know what? We'd rather for sure get Lohner than take a chance on Meyer or wait it out for Meyer, and that's perfectly fine. I think Lohner brings much more physicality. He's bigger. He's more of a, a big man rebounder. I think he's going to help them in a variety of ways, um, and he's going to be much different than Matt um, in certain ways as well. But Baylor had to be proactive, and that's what they were. They were proactive with how they were constructing this roster, and at the end of the day, Personally, you know, they need Adam Flagler more than they need Matthew Meyer. And that's just the facts of the roster where it's currently at. And Flagler, I think, is a guy they're still anticipating will come back. Um, And honestly, like you said, it, it was time. And I don't think this makes Baylor look bad at all. This is just a situation where Baylor ran out of roster spots and Baylor had to figure out ways to get better from last year. And they've done that. It, it would be one thing if you had, you know, Matthew Meyer the last four years and he was clearly your best player. Like, you would wait on him to make his decision yeah. no matter what. But he wasn't. I and mean, he was a very good player. Uh, at times, he was a very frustrating player. But he brought a lot of good. That's, you know, just because he's not going to, you know, be you know a Baylor guy through and through throughout his college career uh, doesn't dismiss the four years that he did play. And the national championship team that he was a major part of and Big 12 titles and big wins and all of that. So he had a great career. It's just time for everybody to turn the page, including him. And I think it'll benefit him. Uh, he can go somewhere, make good NIL money, be on a contender, and uh, maybe be a focal point. And for Baylor, I mean, I think everybody's excited about Keontae George and, um, you know, everybody else that's been added to the mix of, of what all's returning. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't view it as a this person's wrong or that person's wrong. And, and I think, you know, look, I mean, look at Texas Tech losing Kevin McCuller to, to Kansas of all yeah. teams, you know. And, uh, you know, they lost to Terrence Shannon. And, and I'm not thinking any less of Mark Adams. I'm thinking, hell, he's probably going, great, open scholarship. I can go get a, you know, a newer version of this guy. I, I don't think that they're sweating it. I mean, I know that they're not happy. And I know in yeah. some cases they are because, well, it's a little bit different there. But, um you know, I, I don't I don't view tech negatively and think that Mark Adams is 
you know, not in control of what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I agree to an extent. I think McCullough and Shannon were like clearly two of their but it would to me that no, no, I know. I'm like, just saying that, like, even though they're leaving, I'm not sitting there going like, "Oh, something must be wrong no, with no, Tech," no, no. or it looks bad on them. I'm going, "Oh, wow, that's just the NIL era, and Kansas is throwing big money around." And and for that's, sure, yeah, that's and all I, I'm I thinking. Think, I think your point is very factual. That if he would have left after the national championship, when everyone knew he was going to take a bigger role the next year, that would have been a little more worrisome, yeah. right? Because you knew he was getting a bigger role, but this year, he just frankly was not that great, and it was time to move on. They weren't going to wait around for him, and he wanted everyone to wait around for him and then cash in on NIL. That's not going to happen, but overall point, this is not a bad look on Baylor. This right. is not a bad look on Matthew Meyer either. I want to make that clear. No, it's just, is, it's just time to change. Right, I mean, that's right. that's really all. Yeah, I, I think that's just as simple as it is. It's time for him to move on. It's time for them to move on, and Best of luck to everybody. Yep. No, no ill will, no ill feelings. But yeah, that's all I'm saying is I don't, I don't look at anybody who's losing transfers these days unless it's like, you know, West Virginia football with Neil Brown when they were losing like 17 guys in a two month yeah. period or whatever ridiculous number it was. That makes me question what's going on. I'm like, what? That's a lot of guys. But, you know, somebody like Meyer, who I know is going to be popular and polarizing and definitely have, you know, he's got North Carolina and Illinois and all these teams coming after him. Yeah, I, I think it's just a young man testing the market and a team that's good enough to replace him and move along and uh, wish him the best on their way. So, yeah, there's Matthew Meyer. We'll see where he lands. I mean, North Carolina seems like it would make a lot of sense, but Illinois and, and others as well. I uh, just don't want to see him in the Big 12. Can we just avoid that? That would be nice. All right, elsewhere in football, uh, camps going on, Grayson, uh, mostly recruiting right now. Uh, in terms of football news, uh, you've been keeping up to date with that. We've had a lot of updates on the website as well. No, uh, newest uh, hire, Garrett Ross, is, is helping out on that side of things as well. And just a lot of news and notes trickling in as far as recruiting goes. Uh, what kind of an update you got for the people this week? Yeah, so first of all, really excited. Adding Garrett's going to help a ton. We're going to have a lot more recruiting content. I, I think we'll be able to better cover it as well and have more consistent updates, even more so than what we've had over the past year or so. So I think he's going to do some great things for us. So really happy about Garrett. Garrett is in the studio right now. So excited to have him for studio work and, of course, on the recruiting side to, to kind of help the website as a whole. So very excited about that. Um, this past weekend was a big recruiting weekend for Baylor, especially on Friday. Um, it, that was the main day. They had a bunch of guys coming to visit um, especially the 2024 class. And it's clear Baylor wants to make strides in 2024 early on in the process because they've sent out a lot of offers. They have a lot of guys that are already valued as priorities, and they were able to get a lot of them on campus over the weekend. And so, I mean, I don't know how you want to do it, Craig. They had a lot of guys that were four-star guys. We were talking about Jalen Boardley, the running back out of Pleasant Grove, you know, 6'1", 205-pound running back. Uh, kind of fits exactly what they need in the wide zone scheme. Um, you want me to just go through a few of them? Or yeah, just uh, I it? guess hit the highlights because I know a lot of the, the more detailed information will be on the board, and, and that's, you know, for our subscribers in particular. So I guess just kind of the, the general – takeaways from this weekend. If yeah, you so I, it was priority. So Jalen Boardley, like I said, running back out of Pleasant Grove, he's already rising up the, the boards as a priority for this class. He actually got an offer uh, at a Baylor camp last year and then was able to get on campus. Uh, Clemens, 2024 20, wide receiver, Frey DeBose, he's a four-star guy as well. He was on campus, huge getting him on campus. He's, I mean, so fast, 21.5 uh, second, 200-meter time. 
I mean, that is elite mm-hmm. stuff. That's like Tyquan Thornton territory, uh, what he's running right now. He also has a 47-foot triple jump, which is just obscene. So very great athlete there. He's going to have offers from everyone very soon. I do want to highlight two offensive linemen they had on the trip as well. Max Anderson out of Frisco Reedy uh, and Richland Hills offensive lineman Daniel Cruz. Um, those two guys have really stood out to me early on in the recruitment as far as guys that are major priorities for Baylor. Um, and guys that I, I really think that Baylor has a good shot at landing, even though they are high profile guys, Baylor's built a great early relationship with each of them. So very curious to see how that plays out. Baylor needs to find a tackle in the 2024 class, uh, especially in the state. There's some really good ones, which is the complete opposite of the 2023 class where the tackle position is just really not strong, uh, not strong at all. So they got to figure out a way to supplement that. Max Anderson fits that really well. Uh, His brother, Nate Anderson, is at Oklahoma, was a big-time prospect. Everyone loved Nate, uh, but I think Max actually has a chance to potentially be a better prospect than Nate. And it's because he already has the size that Nate really lacked when he was coming out of high school. Max, sorry, 275 pounds. Nate was really hovering around like 255 pounds around this same time. He was much lighter, looked like a center prospect, whereas Max looks like a straight-up tackle. Uh, he's a monster. Got Texas A&M LSU offers. He's going to be a very tough one to land. And he's great friends with Daniel Cruz, who is another great prospect, probably a guard prospect. Um in this class. There were some other guys as well. I think Brock Jackson, the Lumberton defense alignment, he's one to keep an eye on. He's being recruited as a Jack. Um, he's one who I think Baylor has a great early relationship with. I think he could eventually maybe be their second commit in the 2024 class as well. And then Jasper linebacker, Ty Anthony Smith is kind of the other one who coming off this visit, he's been on Baylor's campus a ton recently. He's another one who I'd have my eye on as, oh, he could commit to Baylor. Like he's been around Baylor a lot. He insists he wants to take his time with his recruitment. I totally understand that. This is very early for guys in a 2024 class, uh, but he is one that Baylor has just built such a great relationship with. And the fact of the matter is he continues to visit and visit and visit. And that's just a a good sign, I think, Mm -hmm. for this Baylor program. He also told me his favorite Walmart is actually the one in Waco. So (laughs) which one? Little little news nugget there. Which one? I think the one over off of uh, over by Chick-fil-A over off New Road. I think that's probably okay. the one he was talking about, but he, right. he told me his favorite one, his favorite one is in Waco. So that's a good sign too, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, uh, you know, NIL or just great coaching or wins or Walmarts. I mean, yeah. whatever, he whatever works. Walmart NIL deal. I think. Yeah, that's, there we that's go. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but no, that's, that's a good update that they're, you know, kicking tires and making some impressions on 2024. So now what's next as far as the next get-together for Baylor football? Yeah, they'll probably continue to have visitors uh, probably this weekend. Maybe maybe they'll have a couple. I haven't really heard much on a big recruiting weekend. This just happened to be one that formed. It was It's one of those things with recruiting nowadays, it's a lot of times timing. So when can they get a bunch of guys on campus at the same time that all have that date free? And they're able to do that on Friday. Um, so they're going to work on that camp start in June. So there's going to be a lot of visitors during uh, the month of June, tons of camp guys, and then also official visits are all June as well. So June is going to be hectic and crazy. And thank the Lord that Garrett is starting (laughs) when he's starting, because June is going to be one of the busiest times for uh, me and for really our entire website when it comes to the recruiting side of things. Yes. So while that's going to be, you know, 
a little more stress uh, for everybody involved. The good news is for you, the reader and the subscriber, that will be uh, way more information coming your way and a lot on recruiting. And at a time when you would think, oh, well, it's going to be slowed down, there's going to be a trickle of news because, well, inevitably there's going to be some kind of hibernation period, right? But as we've seen with the portal and NIL and uh, just – you know, transfers and, and all that jazz, and now you got camps coming up, and then right after that, we'll have Big 12 Media Days, and so uh, it's it's a ways away, but it's not that far away, less than 100 days until college football and a lot of recruiting to be done between now and then, so if you want far more uh, detailed information on everything going on, uh, there's just a little bit of a general summary, but uh, if you're into recruiting and you want to know what's going on with Baylor Recruiting, then uh, definitely become a premium member of Sikkim 365 Dot com. Uh, moving along to tennis, men's tennis. Uh, the season not technically over because there's some individuals that are alive, but for all intents and purposes, Baylor men's tennis season is over as a team. Uh, that is the case as they fell in the Elite Eight round out in uh, Champaign, Illinois this past week, 4-3. The Tennessee Vols come from behind to defeat the Bears uh, by one match and uh, end up, as a result, advancing on to the Final Four while the season comes to a close for Michael Woodson and company. Uh, not quite the level that they reached last year. Uh, very good team coming back. There was a lot of high hopes, but uh, they fall short, Grayson. And uh, I know that was a brutal loss for uh, everybody that was tuned in online or had gone up there in person, what have you. A lot. This team had a lot of fans, and unfortunately for them, it's not going to end with the storybook ending that Michael Woodson and obviously the players and their families and, of course, Baylor fans would have liked. No, and it was just a sad, sad, sad it's a bad ending. way to lose, man. Oh, my. I mean, let me just kind of frame this for you. Baylor lost the doubles point, which, first of all, I don't know how the heck they lost their doubles point. They should not have lost their doubles point, but I, it, oh, I just can't. I, I really don't want to. It's not any one person's fault, but like this would be a terrible way for Adrian Boyton to end his career at Baylor. I mean, he is one of the best players Baylor has had in a really long time. Baylor's got a lot of history in tennis, and Adrian Boyton has been absolutely fantastic during his entire time at Baylor. Um, but, you know, he lost the doubles point 6-4, and that was kind of always going to be the swing one. Tennessee felt pretty good, I think, about winning the one over uh, Masucci and Soto, even though they've been really good all year. They lost 6-1, so they got blown out. That wasn't even competitive. And Finn Bass and Finn Law blew out their uh, doubles match as well, which was expected. So it really came down to the final one. And Boyton and Paraluk lost theirs, which was really surprising start. And then you start singles and you go, wow, Baylor's winning every single singles match right now. So you're feeling pretty good about it. And things start shaking out and you kind of go further and further down. And it Baylor went up 3-1 at one time. Mm -hmm. And then it was 3-2. And you're sitting there going, okay, it's 3-2. Baylor's in a good situation here. But then they lost the next one and went down, or no, I'm sorry, it was 3-2 still. And then you're sitting there and going, okay, Finn Bass is probably going to lose his match, right? It, it seemed pretty evident. And then Adrian Boyton's going to find a way to win his match because he's the number you know five player in the entire country. Some, some have him top three. He's going to find a way to win his. Well, you start getting closer and closer to the end. Finn Bass is up a break point. Then you look over, Adrian Boyton is up a break point. Not only is Boyton up a break point, he is serving for the match, serving for Baylor to win the to win this matchup against Tennessee. He gets broken. 
Then he proceeds to lose the next two in a row, loses his match, and then Finn Bass got broken the exact, at the exact same time, and he lost his match. And that's how things unfolded. It was just a really, really tough ending for a guy like Adrian Boyton, who has just meant so much to this program. And so to see that, I just felt horrible for him. Yeah. And I felt horrible for this whole team because you know those guys went over to watch that match fully expecting Adrian Boyton to win. There's no doubt about it. They expected him to win every single match he stepped on the court for, and it just didn't happen. And that's why weighing the doubles point is just simply so important in men's tennis. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, certainly. And uh, now this roster will see some changeover. I mean, they've had some holdovers, right, uh, as far as just guys we've kind of grown accustomed to that – um, they'll have to account for, you know, and reshaping. But I feel good about the direction of, you know, obviously the program. I mean, they've had two very good showings now uh, under Michael Woodson. I mean, more if you count indoors as well. Yeah. But just, man, they're knocking on that door and, and just can't quite get an answer uh, on the other side of, you know, the, the you can't get a call from the – or can't get an answer from the, the championship trophy. Uh, but at some point, like I said in, in one of my articles, just keep banging on that door. Eventually you think it will open up for you, but – uh, certainly tough knowing that you had, you know, your team from last year and how close you got coming back and feeling like you could make, you know, get over that hump this year. And uh, yeah, just not quite enough, but give Tennessee a lot of credit. Yeah. And I, I think just based on what I read, some people who probably have more insight into the tennis program than me, there's a feeling that they might actually get a lot of these guys back. Okay. Like great. They have years left and Adrian Boyton is one of those. Okay. And I can see him looking at this final, you know, run and being like, I can't end my career like that. Sure. That's a horrible way to end it. Um, I will say, though, just to kind of add, you know, maybe a little bit of, oh, it's okay that they lost. Tennessee got absolutely blown out by Virginia the very next match, and Virginia looked like an absolute juggernaut running through the tournament. I mean, they they were 4-0, 4-0. Then they played South Carolina, 4-0. Then they played Florida, who many people thought were going to win it all again. They beat them 4-1. Then 5-0 over Tennessee, and then 4-0 in the championship against Kentucky. So I think Virginia might have ended up being a team of destiny once the tournament started. So that might just shed a little light on if Baylor beat Tennessee, they were probably going to lose to Virginia and the way Virginia was playing. And the way Baylor was playing, frankly, was not the elite level that we saw at times. Yeah, year. I mean, uh, you can try to polish that turd all you want. Yeah, <laughs> still, know, still, still painful. No, I mean, you're right, though. I mean, they might as well, they very well could have lost to Virginia in the next round. Virginia is a juggernaut type of uh, uh, tennis program. And they so, got hot. They yeah, just got and steaming there would have been no shame in that, but I, I still, you, you would have rather have gotten to the final four for sure, and had that great feeling of you know being up on the Vols and being able to get that win. But yeah, it, it does make you at least feel better, I guess, that they turned around and, and got beat the way that they did by the Cavs. But yeah, Virginia is your national champion. They defeated uh, Kentucky, and that was a seven versus an eight in that uh, championship uh, matchup. So good for the Cavs and uh, for the Bears. Yeah, we'll see how Michael Woodson goes about retooling and refining and reloading that roster. And uh, certainly if there's some guys that want to come back, I think they'd be, for the most part, welcome with open arms as far as I'm concerned. But as you said, we can leave it to the, the more of the experts uh, on uh, the boards for – uh, their commentary and thoughts on what next year's roster will look like. But uh, certainly no reason to hang their heads. Uh, just a very tough way to lose for Baylor men's tennis. And as I mentioned, there's some you know, like some individual stuff going on and things like that. But uh, team tennis uh, done for both the men and the women now at this point. Uh, and then elsewhere, uh, baseball. 
uh, found themselves, I mean, wow, uh, with a spot in the Big 12 tournament. They went into this weekend needing a win uh, or for, what was it, Kansas to get swept. Yeah. And it didn't even end up mattering what Kansas was doing because Baylor had a all-timer of a comeback win on Friday night against Oklahoma State, uh, getting the W. And, uh, you know, really taking a lot, in, you know, to get it done. But they got it done, and they got that win to open the series, and that put them in the NCAA, or put them in the Big 12 postseason tournament as the final seed. So that's great. Uh, then they turned around and got beat twice. Uh, so they lost the series to the Cowboys, and now they will face TCU in uh, their first matchup at the Big 12 baseball tournament. So they kept the streak intact. I believe it's now 25 consecutive years they've made the Big 12 postseason tournament, which is a great feat. But uh, certainly I don't think anybody's expecting a whole lot. At least I'm not. I'll, I'll you know, I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything. I'm not anticipating, you know, some big win over TCU to start this tournament. I'm glad that they got in. I'm glad that they're getting that opportunity. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect uh, beyond this. Yeah, thank the Lord uh, that Kansas went four and twenty in mm-hmm. Big Twelve play. <laughs> yeah, thank thank you, Jayhawks. <laughs> so I mean, it made it kind of kind of. It would have been really hard to not make the Big Twelve tournament. I mean, and yet, four wins. there they were in the yeah. final weekend, having to have a scenario where you must win or right. they have to get swept. So yeah, I know what you mean, but Baylor wasn't too far ahead of them. No. That's why. They were not uh, breathing easy going into Friday. They weren't. They're twenty six and twenty six on the season now. Um, you know, Oklahoma State's a really good team. It's no, there's mm-hmm. no shame in losing that series. I, we all expected them to lose the series, but to win one game is actually, I think, good. You know, that, that's solid. If it was, you know, middle of the season and Baylor wasn't currently seven and seventeen in the Big Twelve. But uh, on the flip side, I mean, I think they're going into this tournament banged up. My expectations are, I don't, I don't think they're playing more than two games, honestly. I, I would be a little shocked if they played more than that. So right now, I'm kind of going in. They're probably going to go 0-2. I hope they win one. That'd be yeah, cool. That'd be go in, find a way to win one, beat TCU, pull off an upset, get a little payback for the absolute blown series they had against TCU earlier in the year to start Big 12 play. I'm going to go from there, but the bracket is tough. It's brutal. You play TCU in the first round. If you win that game, you play the winner of Texas and Oklahoma State, who you went 1-5 and five against. Yeah, it did um, not do well. So I, I, my expectations are very low for this series, for yeah, this tournament. Me too, and I, you know, I think that as soon as the season wraps, whenever that is, whether it's in the next few days or what have you, uh, then that's going to lead to a very interesting offseason of decisions as far as you know what direction they take, not only with the baseball program, but I think also with the softball program. And when they have those exit meetings that Mac Rhodes conducts with everybody, you know, what are the general thoughts? And if Steve Rodriguez is back next year to keep running the program, you know what were kind of the the things discussed as far as all right and why like what what are what are the next steps what are the moves to get Baylor baseball you know back in championship uh, contention so you know like I've said uh, I think plenty of times on the radio show when it's been brought up and on here I'm certainly not rooting for anybody to lose their jobs uh, would it surprise me though if they made a change no would it surprise me if they stuck with it no uh, and the stick with it part I mean just simply a matter of what would be your options. Uh, what are the issues that you feel like you're facing? Can they be corrected with Steve Rodriguez? Uh, and you know, or 
you know, do you just have to make a change? And I, I know there's people out there who do follow Baylor baseball closely that feel like a change is needed. And I know that there are others that follow Baylor baseball closely who feel like maybe a change needed, maybe a change isn't needed, but either way, just maybe the timing's not great. So depends on who you ask who follows the program, but certainly there will be, you know, some very interesting conversations. Uh, even if they were to go off and win the Big 12 tournament, which is highly unlikely, uh, it, you know, to – to just though focus on a positive. They got that win that they needed and they get to play in the Big 12 tournament as a result. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, it just it's I, I continue to bring this up. This program's in a completely different state than it was in 2019 when I, we're sitting there going, man, this team could be a host. They could win the Big 12. They're they're right there in contention. And then you go to 2020 and I mean, they started 10-6. and six. They, they looked pretty good. If you remember, they beat Missouri, LSU, and Arkansas in the Shriners Hospital College yeah, Classic. They were looking really good. They beat Cal Poly, and then the season got canceled. And since that season got canceled, it's really gone off the rails a little bit. I mean, 2021, they were 31-20. and 20. They were okay. Um, but again, they didn't make the postseason, even though I think some could argue they should have. But you still didn't make it. You went 11-13 and 13 in the Big 12. You were just on the outside looking in. And then you show up this year, and it's the same thing. You continue to have a bunch of injuries. You go 7-17 and 17 in the Big 12, which, frankly, is just, that's terrible. And you're 26-26 and 26 on the year. So I don't know if this program needs a jolt or if it's just been bad luck with injuries. I think that's something that Mac Rhodes is probably going to have to decide and talk with Coach Rod about. What I do know is Coach Rod is a great human being and is a guy who I really trust as a culture builder. I just need to know, you know, is this a program that can win with him? Can they win big with him? And I think that's the question that has to be asked. Yeah, and I think they need to ask themselves, you know, what do they want to be? And if it's like every other sport, then I think they want to be excellent and they want to be competing for titles. And right now they're they're very much in no man's land uh, versus where, you know, other programs currently sit, like in Oklahoma State, like in, in an, even in Oklahoma or a TCU or a Texas and so on and so forth. So uh, they're losing ground, if anything, and how they make up that ground that's the big question that you know Mac Rhodes needs to figure out Steve Rhodes needs uh, Steve Rhodes um, Steve Rodriguez needs to uh to you know, have a plan for and uh, we'll see if that plan's good enough but you know obviously the scholarship situation in baseball makes it interesting as well um and then being a private school is not an advantage uh like it might be in some other ways uh and now we see where you know in theory Mississippi State baseball or you know, Texas A&M baseball are going to be able to basically pay full scholarship their whole teams through NIL. And uh, I just don't know if that's something that Baylor can can do uh, feasibly. But, again, that will be all part of the conversations that they have uh, once the season does wrap up. So we'll see. That will be a to-be-determined uh, conversation or, I guess, decision and and plan moving forward that we'll just have to sit back and, and wait to hear more about at some point. All right, I think that's it. Let's get into the mailbag. For this week and start with Scotty B, the Baylor King. How do you think the basketball schedule in Big 12 conference play once the four editions come in in 23 will go in terms of number of games, assuming Texas and OU are staying in the Big 12? I know this affects more than one sport down the line for the Big 12 in terms of scheduling, but I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts. Well, I think it'll be somewhat like, what, the SEC? Something along those so 18, I think it'll be like 18 games yeah, in probably. conference. You'll play the SEC West or whoever your division is, if there are divisions. If not, you'll play multiple teams twice, and then you'll play those other teams once, and you'll have very similar home and away schedule. But it needs to be the same amount so that you play, I believe it's nine at home, nine on the road. 
is how I think it'll go. Um, that that's just kind of my guess at this time. Yeah, I have not given. I don't even still have like a great, you know, solution for myself as far as football goes, much less basketball. Um, but yeah, I think eighteen would would make some sense. I mean, clearly you're not going to be able to double up with uh, with everybody. And I don't think you want to drown yourself in conference games uh, either. Have to play everybody home and home. That would be ridiculous. So, yeah, some combination of, you know, majority of the teams you'll see home and away and then a, a sprinkling of teams that you'll just see one way or the other. Um, but, yeah, around 18 games would uh, make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, definitely don't want to you know, hurt the conference by having too many of those types of matchups. Uh, West Virginia fans, once again, have said 10 wins this year in football. Can you name some reasons why they don't get the 10 wins besides Baylor beating West Virginia and Morgantown? You know what's crazy is that WV fans said 10 wins last year and went 6-7. and seven. Yeah, I'm wondering myself, and we've got something to listen to Sikkim 365 Radio if it's trolling or, or something at this point because I'm not seeing the optimism. But the biggest reason why is JT Daniels at quarterback. I mean, that's really um, what's got them feeling great about next year. I don't even think it's so much Graham Harrell being their OC that's that's really sparking it. I think it's just now a combination of, okay, well, they got JT Daniels and they got Graham Harrell at OC and – you know, Neil Brown as head coach, like, that that should work. Um, but outside of that, I'm not seeing it. So I, I don't know where that optimism is, optimism is coming from outside of, of just simply the JT Daniels edition. Yeah, they're not winning 10 games. No, and they're not doing that either, no. They're, they're not winning 10 games. And if you want reasons why, they just have too much ground to make up. So keep in mind, they could be trolling you they, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, at this point. They could be. I just I don't see it. Uh, I think my biggest reasoning is they were 88th in points per game last year. I don't care. JT Daniels would have to be like a number one overall pick for them to be a top 10 offense next year. Mm. And I don't know that I see that year one. I think they can be better. I think maybe they can get inside the top 50, which would be exponential upgrade. But I also think, you know, defensively, they're barely in the top 50 as well. So if you're a top 50 offense, top 50 defense, you'll have a chance to win a lot of games. But if you go look at their schedule, they play at Pitt and at Virginia Tech in the non-con. I think they'll lose one of those. They lost to Virginia Tech a year ago. They'll lose one of those games. They'll beat Towson. They'll beat Kansas. So there's three wins, right? They got at Texas. They got Baylor, at Tech, TCU, at Iowa State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Oklahoma State on the road at Oklahoma State. I think if I'm just kind of looking at their schedule and ballparking, I would say they probably can maybe, I think their ceiling is probably eight wins in the regular season, eight and four, just based off the schedule. Like, be, going to Oklahoma State and winning going to be tough. Beating Baylor anywhere is going to be tough. Beating Oklahoma anywhere is going to be tough. Going to Texas is going to be tough. And then you got to play all these other Big 12 teams in there as well. I'd say 8 and 4 is their ceiling. I would probably hazard a guess that they'll probably go more like 7 and 5 or 6 and 6. Yeah, I think uh, some of it's false confidence. Uh, some of it's just, well, they have to be better. And yeah. some of it's JT Daniels and some of it's trolling and, you know, take your pick. But I, I definitely am not anticipating them getting anywhere close to winning 10 games next year. I think everybody in the Big 12 is going to be mostly better. Um, you know, I say everyone and then mostly because I'm trying to think of uh, who might not be quite as good as they were last year. 
And even in the case of an Oklahoma State or Baylor, even if they're not quite as good as they were last year, they're still going to be plenty good and pretty close to that. So, yeah, I don't I don't see where those wins are coming from. I just think their offense is going to push their defense back a little bit, and they're probably going to get into a bunch of shootouts with teams, and we know how that goes a lot of times. You can yeah. lose many of those games, and when you play a more physical team, it can sometimes be really tough. And there's some teams that are not going full spread. They're going more, we're going to be physical up front. And then there's some teams that are going to air it out on you, like a Texas Tech and like Oklahoma and things like that. So it'll be. I'm curious, but I don't see 10 wins at all. Brown BW, it is springtime. Even UT thinks they will win the conference. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the offseason and this time of year is, is you know, certainly uh, time for some people to just, you know, crow about how great they're going to be and they're going to do this and they're going to win that and all these additions are going to be nothing but positives and all those players that left they we didn't need them anyway you know this is the time to be gassed up on your program and feel like this is the year so you're absolutely right Sam 19 Lance Leipold seems to be moving Kansas in the right direction with a competent coaching staff and some decent recruiting Kansas may not end up being the pushover they once were this begs the question on everyone's mind does Texas lose to Kansas and Lawrence this season I'm gonna say no I just think way too much is at stake for Texas to fall to Kansas another time I think they'll be geared up, and, and that will not be like the same level of preparation that an Oklahoma is or someone like that, but I do think that they'll they'll not allow Kansas to make them the fools once again. I, I don't see any way, shape, or form they can you know possibly go into that game without the utmost focus, and plus they should just be so much more talented, and I know we say that every year, but I mean truly, they really should be uh, so much more talented than KU on paper, so I'm going to say no, although... If that were to happen this year, my gosh, that would be just an incredible meltdown to witness. Sark's done if they lose. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's fired because, in my mind, if they're losing to Kansas, they're probably going to be a six-win team. Right. Um, So, yeah, I I don't think they're losing that one. A lot of people are talking about Kansas, and I like their head coach. I really do. You know, Lance Leipold Mm -hmm. definitely has them going in the right direction. Um, But let's not forget – they were 129th out of 130 teams in points allowed this year. They were 111th in points scored this year. This is a bad football team still. This is not a team that has a lot of talent. This is not a team that is already great and giving up those kind of numbers. I mean, when you give up those kind of numbers and you go 2-10, and 10, your ceiling, in my mind, is already not a bowl team. Like, you, you can't make a bowl after that, in my mind, unless you just somehow lucked into, like, a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback or something along those lines. So, yes, I think you'll see upgrades. But, again, I think when I look at their schedule this year, I think this is probably going to be, at best, a four-win team. And that would be a great season for them. I mean, that's the thing is, like, upgrades, when you're talking about Kansas, it doesn't have to be a bowl team right now. I mean, in a couple years, yeah, they need to be scraping that and being close to that. And hopefully they still have Lance Leipold in a couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, they were so bad that even winning a couple games is like a triumph. So, you know, just the fact that they've been able to beat Texas a couple times here is, is freaking incredible. I mean, that really is unbelievable in, in some ways. And then you think about the culture issues at, at UT uh, in some of those instances, and it's like, well, that's why it happened mostly. It's not because Kansas is really turning the corner uh, as much as it is just, you know, it speaks to Texas and their issues. But I do think it does speak somewhat to – you know, what you saw from Kansas last year, them getting better. But, man, we're talking about such a different process rebuild-wise versus what even a Matt Rule inherited. I mean, it's 
it was bad with less miles for sure and and i would also say my biggest problem with kansas as far as their schedule layout is it's just it's very tough at the very beginning they got tennessee tech then they go to west virginia to houston and then duke all in a row to start the year that is a gauntlet and having to go on the road that early in the season and play a conference game i just if you get off to a bad start it's very easy for things to snowball and I could see that happening once again this year. And so, yeah, I, like I said, I think four wins is probably my ceiling for them right now, which, again, solid year and if they get there. To answer your question, no, still don't see them beating, beating Texas nope. this year. Five-star, and that was from, I think, uh, Sam19. Thank you, Sam. Five-star physicist. My Sikkim 365 app says it's no longer available. Is there something I need to do to restore it, or is it no longer being used? My other question was, how do I now listen to the podcasts? So the app is out right now. Um, we're working on getting it fixed. F5 has updates for the pod, right, I mean, for the um, the website. So they're trying to work on the app and trying to build it again. But yes, right now it's down. So you got to go to the website uh, for the content. As far as the podcast go, I post it every week. So it'll be up on the board. You can watch the YouTube version on our website. Uh, it'll be labeled the Bearcast every single week. The other way to watch it is on Apple Podcasts um, at the Sikkim 365 Daily podcast channel it's up there every week as well any timeline on how long that's expected to take uh the podcast the app oh no timeline yet from colt uh not sure yet they're just working on it it's not really something that we're working on it's uh f5 gotcha dak jd90 with so much optimism about next season would an eight and four season be considered a failure Ooh, um, Brown BW says eight and four is not a bad record, but it would mean we didn't play for Big Twelve championship, and I would be disappointed in that. So there was Brown BW commenting on Dak's question. I, I think failure is probably sh too strong of a word. Would it be disappointing? Sure. Does that does that make it a failure? I don't think so. I think it can be disappointing without considering it a failure. Yeah. If they go eight and four, that's a solid season. Um, that still has the program trending in the right direction, but. I would say this is a team that really feels like it could go, you know, 10 and 2, 11 and 1 and get back to a Big 12 championship. Just the way that it's built, it's the best the offensive and defensive lines have been depth-wise in the longest time. I mean, they are just loaded on both sides and when you're able to control the front, you're able to win a lot of football games. So, I would be um disappointed in 8 and 4, but no, it would not be a failure in my book. Yeah, me neither. I mean, that would be not ideal, but you know, and also it would depend on how they get those four losses. Are we talking about four close losses? You know, are we talking about a couple butt kickings? And maybe that changes my tune a little bit. But eight and four, uh, you know, again, depends on the style, but that wouldn't be a failure. A failure would be not making a bowl game. That would be an absolute, uh, just no excuses whatsoever type of a uh, failure. Yeah, it's really weird. Baylor. Baylor doesn't have very many in-between seasons. No, they really don't. No, they're, it's very hot or really very cold. Or, or yeah. just not very good. Like, eight and four, they're not – it doesn't feel like they're that very often. It's like, oh, maybe six and six or terrible or they're like ten and two. It's really weird how things have kind of played out like that, it feels like, every year. Definitely. Uh, ZT Smith, four, two, three. Do you think Baylor should have recruited Iowa State wide receiver Tariq Milton that was in the transfer portal? Seemed like he was very productive at Iowa State and could have helped out. Was he just not a good fit? And for those who haven't seen, Tariq Milton has committed to Texas. Yeah, not a good fit and not better than what they have on the roster. That's, that's plain and simply where it's at right now. And that's why it's been so hard to recruit guys out of the portal. I know they've tried with a few different guys, but 
fact of the matter is, is the top guys are getting NIL money to go to certain schools, and then the guys in between are just not better than what they have on the roster. So they'd rather give the young guys opportunities to prove themselves, and Milton is not better than the guys they have on the roster currently. I mean, he had a good year a couple years ago, um, but last year wasn't as good as he was uh, the year prior. And I I got questioned, why is he leaving Iowa State? It's not like they're just loaded with receiver talent. And why is he going to Texas? He's going to be like the fifth guy at... Uh, I guess I guess we know probably why yeah, he's going to Texas, but, but uh, just weird. I mean, they missed out on Jordan Addison, so they got Tariq Milton, and I, I yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess they're just planning on you know scoring seventy a game this year. Yeah. Uh, I guess Wacko for Waco. Although it would be great for Baylor to have a top ten recruiting class every year. Do you think there's merit in recruiting on a lower but competitive level, say a ranking of fifteen to twenty five? In this position, you can find the right balance of transfers and high school talent and maintain reasonable depth that is not compromised. Are comprised of highly touted recruits who may transfer if they don't get playing time. It seems like it would foster a highly competitive environment. Yeah, Baylor's not getting top 10 recruiting classes in the landscape that is NIL. They're just not. So you might as well throw that out the window now. If you're going to ask me, would I rather have a top 10 class or a top 15 to 25 class? Uh, yeah, I'd rather have a top 10 class. <laughs> just my personal opinion. I understand what you're saying. But I also think you're you're missing the fact that Dave Aranda is a culture builder and is a guy who's not going to take guys who don't fit that culture. Well, I think that's what he's asking. Is he said, do you think there's merit in Baylor recruiting on a lower but competitive level because you can find the right guys who are not NIL chasing and, you know. No, I know, but I'm saying that Dave Aranda could recruit NIL chasing guys oh, yeah. who aren't in it just for the money. They're still good culture fits. Like, just because a guy's taking NIL money doesn't mean that he's not a good culture fit. It just means there's... Everyone has a different situation, right? And so I think that's where I'm at is that Dave Aranda's not going to compromise his roster even if he has a top 10 recruiting class. So that top 10 class, while we'll have NIL guys... It has to nowadays. They would also be good culture fits. In order to win championships consistently, you have to recruit at a top 10 level. That's been proven over the course of many, many years. You have to have a top 10 recruiting class to win championships at the college level. So I would rather have that, but that's not to say they can't be competitive, extremely competitive with top 15 to 25 classes, no doubt about it. Yeah. um, Trying to think uh, if there was a different thing I wanted to take on this right balance transfers uh do you think you know recruiting more of the top 15 to 25 although you would probably really need to make it like top 30 to 40 ish classes um do you think there's any greater success rate with those guys versus top 10s in terms of having to worry about transfers and things like that like where's the merit from that standpoint yeah I I would understand that take I guess I'm just going off of the who who Dave Aranda's yeah yeah certainly and, and the guys that he's recruited who are five-star guys right definitely fit a different culture but yes there is absolutely I mean a lot of the top guys end up transferring because they're not playing year one or you right. know whatever get upset about a situation or flame out I mean we've seen that a lot at schools like Texas Texas A&M like where they just it doesn't work out for them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that always, in my mind, speaks to culture more than anything else. That's taking a shot on a guy who has some issues, and you just were like, oh, but he's talented. He'll boost our recruiting ranking. Let's go with that. Uh, Baylor won't be doing that. At least they won't be trying to do that. And we'll close out. Thank you, Wacko, for Waco. We'll close out with Original University of Texas. What are y'all's thoughts on pods and some commonly mentioned parameters informing them? One, four pods of three is better than three pods of four. Two, the Texas schools should form a Texas pod. And uh, I guess we'll just start there. Uh, I guess, no. Also, what would be y'all's ideal pod for Baylor? Not necessarily easiest, but most fun. So 
Uh, again, uh, four pods of three is better than three pods of four. I like three pods of four. I like three Baylor. pods of four too. Yeah, because I want Baylor to have a pod of Texas or of Texas Tech, um, TCU, and Houston. Okay, that would be my ideal pod for Baylor. That would be a lot of fun, love a very competitive environment in that pod. So, so you you kind of answered all three with that one right there, right? Because you'd prefer three uh, three pods of four. You prefer a Texas pod, and you'd prefer the the fun. I, version of what you just yeah, said. Yeah, I think so. The only thing that I could kind of push back and go, okay, four pods of three is because I guess if you left Houston out, I would be totally fine if Baylor had a pod of TCU and Texas Tech. Like, that would mm-hmm. be a lot of fun as well. And kind of if you look throughout the country, it'd kind of be all about geography, right? You know, do are there three schools that make a lot of sense for each school? So if you did, like, Houston with um, uh, UCF and maybe, what, Oklahoma State or something along that, like – West Virginia or something. Yeah, yeah. it'd be so, well. West Virginia's got to be with Cincy, I think. But I think where's UCF? <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. Yeah, that, that's the tough part, right? So that's where it's almost like, should you do pods of four so that you can kind of spread it out a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think right now I'm leaning towards three pods of four though, in that Texas Texas grouping for Baylor. Yeah, I think you know when it comes to football in particular, uh, that seems like you'd want to get those games. But then again, I've seen the argument of well, actually, you should. Um, or, you know, then travel costs come into play, and you know, there's there's so many different like wild cards you could throw into why pods make more sense this way versus that way, and and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I would mostly like to see them stick with the Texas school, just some semblance of, you know, kind of what's been the basis of the Big Twelve in many ways is the state of Texas, and you know, to have those schools and have Houston now in the mix, I think that makes it fresh and exciting, and. Uh, you can get some new rivalries out of that much easier than throwing Baylor against UCF or just hoping BYU versus Cincy sticks. And, you know, there's already something built in there. Yeah, I was going to say that would be the other interesting one is if you did Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, and BYU. And BYU. And BYU, yeah. you yeah. know, because Tech is close to BYU. Baylor's already built this kind of honestly good relationship with BYU over mm. with this year, and then they're going to play them again uh, this upcoming year. That would be a very intriguing one to me as well, and also that private school vibe with TCU, Baylor, and and BYU would be cool as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to say to your question, uh, three pods of four, yes on a Texas pod, but I am open to the idea of, you know, a BYU-ish type of, of a pod. Now, as far as ideal, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with Grace in Houston Tech, TCU, your little Southwest Conference pod. Uh, would be great, but you know. Then again, though, I'm not stuck in the mud on this. I'd be cool with them. You know, okay, you're with Cincinnati, but then again, it just it'll be interesting to see how much geography is is you know determined in how they decide who to send where and and how they inevitably do that. But certainly, there was a curveball thrown with the whole no divisions thing, and that's kind of put the scheduling talk on uh, hold a little bit, or at least slowed it down for the time being. So remains to be seen, but. I think there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat, and I sh- said my way, but uh, I think that you know there's various other ways that would be would be great as well. So thank you, Original UT, for uh, the question this week, and hopefully we address that uh, well enough for you, and hopefully we hear from you uh, like everyone else again next week. Uh, Grayson, anything before we go? No, nothing really. It's uh, another fun week. Obviously, we're going to have a lot of recruiting content in the month of June. I'm sure Colt will be having some sort of promotion as well sometime this summer. So be on the lookout for that if you're not a premium subscriber. Uh, if you are one, continue to enjoy the content. And uh, we're really excited. We got a lot of content that's going to be churning out from 
articles to the radio side of things uh, with Craig from three to six, they, you know, 365 sports. We have that as well. Lots of content, lots of ways to stay plugged into college football and Baylor as a whole. So uh, stay locked into 365 sports on YouTube. Uh, also, we'll let you know when there's news to update you on with the app and when that will be back up and functioning. And, of course, stay tuned to the website as well. Thanks to Garrett and Jack behind the scenes. For Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been another edition. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your questions as well of the BearCast on Sikkim 365, Radio Sikkim365.com.